Today I'm going to be meditating on Revelation 2 and 3. So these are the letters to the seven churches. Um, I found a series on YouTube by Chuck Missler uh, from, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. But it's it's extremely in-depth and fantastic. So a lot of the commentary that I will include here is from him, some from Rick Renner, some from Andrew Womack. So I'll try to incorporate some of that in because I've never really had a great grasp of Revelation before. Um, but uh, Chuck Missler makes the very interesting point that there are seven churches that get letters and yet there were hundreds of churches at the time of the writing. So why these seven? And his perspective is that the reason why these seven are chosen and particularly the order in which they are chosen is because they actually do chronicle the church history if they are listed in the appropriate order. So I'll discuss that as we go through. First one is the Loveless Church. This is uh, Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember that, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat up from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay, so I will pause on that one. So this is Ephesus. According to Chuck Missler, this was the Apostolic Church, or the Church of Acts, and shortly thereafter. They were apparently doctrinally sound, but they didn't have time for a relationship with Jesus. This was kind of like the Martha church. So Martha compared to Mary. Martha was out serving and making food, and she complained to Jesus because Mary was sitting at his feet and was listening, and she wasn't up helping. And so Martha was saying, you know, why tell her to come help me? And Jesus said, Mary chose the better thing. So service is good, but to a point. And Jesus was emphasizing again that his goal is relationship. So this kind of illustrates 1 Corinthians 13. It doesn't matter what we do. If we don't have love, we are nothing, no matter how many other great works we do. Okay, so who are the Nicolaitans? According to Rick Renner, um, he says the writings of the early church leaders said that Nicholas taught a doctrine of compromise, implying that total separation between Christianity and the practice of occult paganism was not essential. So in other words, it ended up being a watered-down, defeated, worldly type of Christianity. So that is what Jesus rebuked, as well as the fact that they weren't really focused on relationship. Okay, so the next one is the persecuted church, and this is uh, Revelation 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Okay, so according to Chuck Missler, this was, if you look at this in terms of the sequence of of church history, this would be representative of the church after the fall of Rome until the conversion of Constantine. So they were constantly being persecuted, and it was terrible. Uh, So this 
Jesus, this is one of two of the seven churches where Jesus didn't have any correction at all. All of the rest of them, other than Philadelphia, which we'll get to later, Jesus had some correction. But this is one of them where he's just saying, hang in there, guys, you're doing good. Okay. Um, the next one is the compromising church. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, right? These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have said that you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you have also hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Okay, so according to Chuck Missler, this is representative potentially of uh, the church after Constantine's conversion when Christianity suddenly incorporated lots of unregenerate people from pagan religions. And so suddenly it was also incorporating all of their ideas and it became very diluted. Um, So one thing that's interesting is he talks about the doctrine of Balaam. So in Numbers, Balaam was the prophet who wasn't even an Israelite. And the king Balak tried to hire Balaam to curse the people of Israel and God wouldn't let him do it. But finally, Balaam, he wanted the money. So he finally told Balak, I know how you can get the Israelites to curse themselves. Get them to start committing fornication and basically worship, idol worship, with like with fornication involved in that, um, so that they basically will be on the wrong side of the covenant. And then because the covenant, at least the Old Testament covenant, had blessings and cursings according to Deuteronomy 28, they will curse themselves as a result of that because they'll be on the wrong side of the covenant. And that is what God already told them would happen. So that was the doctrine of Balaam. He was teaching them to put the stumbling block before them. Uh, Meanwhile, so uh, when the Lord is saying to them, he he also speaks against the Nicolaitans here as well. Um, And he specifically, he doesn't say that he would fight against the pastor that he's talking to. He said he'd fight against those who held the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So that would be the people in the congregation. He's basically telling the pastor, the angel, the angel is the pastor, like they say, they explain that in in Revelation 1. He's saying, you judge them or I will. So if the pastor really loves their people, they're going to deal with their sins. Um, So, and he's also saying the way that he would deal with them is with the sword of his mouth, which is the word of God. So that the, the sword is constantly shown to be his word. The Lord corrects us with his word. And then what's up with the white stone? So according to Chuck Missler, in the days of the Roman Empire, the white stone was like their ID card. It got them entrance into places and it had their name on it. So this is an allusion to that. Okay, the corrupt church. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast 
cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my word until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. And as I also have received them from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so Thyatira, the corrupt church. According to Chuck Missler, this is consistent with the Catholic Church, particularly of the Middle Ages, which was extremely corrupt. So uh, in Matthew 13, uh, verse 37 to 43, Jesus taught that there would be tares, or there would be unbelievers that are sown among the true believers, and there would be you know, wolves among the sheep. And the, so Jezebel, apparently, whoever this was, uh, maybe it was one person, maybe it was a group of people, but that she was one of those who was trying to corrupt the those who would otherwise be following God. Um, another thing that's pretty interesting. So he says in verse 22 here um, that, uh, let's see, those who commit adultery with her will be thrown into the great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. So that kind of implies that this church will still be around in the end and that if they do repent, maybe they won't go into the tribulation. So this is potentially an allusion to the rapture. The rapture, of course, is a controversial uh, controversial topic of is it uh, does it happen at all? Is it pre-trib, mid-trib, end-trib, that kind of a thing? Um, as I'm going through the uh, series with Chuck Missler, I am revising my opinion on that, but this is suggestive that the church may not, uh, or this this church may not if they repent. Okay, so the dead church. This is the church of Sardis, uh, beginning in verse or chapter 3 verse 1 and to the angel of the church in Sardis write these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars I know your works that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead be watchful and strengthen the thing which remains and be ready and are that are ready to die for I have not found your works perfect before God remember therefore how you have received and heard hold fast and repent therefore if you will not watch I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I come upon you you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his life from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so Sardis, uh, according to Chuck Missler, this would be consistent with the Protestant churches after the Reformation. Um, And interestingly, so verse uh, chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says, if they don't watch, Jesus will come as a thief in the night. So this is a an allusion potentially to the parable of the virgins and the second coming where it says that he's going to, you, you should be watching because you know, don't know what day or hour your master is going to come back if you're the servant. The parable of the virgins also um, potentially didn't know when, when their bridegroom was going to be coming. So all of those things sound like, essentially he's saying that there's a possibility that they might otherwise be caught up in the rapture as long as they are watching and continuing about the Lord's business. And then 3 verse 5, the overcomer won't have his name blotted out. Does that mean otherwise some of them might? Um, Jesus did say they were dead spiritually, and he also had said at one point, some will say, Lord, Lord, but he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. So that appears to be that illusion. 
the faithful church, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so Philadelphia is the missionary churches, according to Chuck Missler. This is one of only two pastors of the seven churches who wasn't rebuked. Uh, The other one, again, was Smyrna. So uh, Andrew Womack did the math on that. That means 28% of these pastors were acting as the Lord desired for them to act. And that also means about 28% of the churches are actually completely doing what he wants. So this is also comparable to the parable of the... um, the sower in Mark 4 verse 14 to 20 that 25% of the different types of soil there were four types of soil there was the soil the or four yeah there was the seed was thrown on four different types of soil uh, it was thrown on the path it was thrown among the thorns um, it was thrown among the uh, it was the good ground and then what was the other one? Oh, among the stones that's right so three of those you don't really get a good harvest it chokes it either either it doesn't get um roots at all or the stones choke it or the the um uh, the thorns choke it or it's good ground and it actually takes root and then you uh you manifest 30 60 or 100 fold in terms of spiritual fruit so that's about right if you actually look at it that way Um, And then again, in uh, chapter 3, verse 10, Jesus says he will take them out of the hour of trial. So that, again, sounds like it could be an allusion to the rapture. Okay, and then the lukewarm church. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were not, I, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, and I also, and as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Okay, so, and then, of course, everybody kind of recognizes this. Is this the modern church? So, the uh, according to Chuck Missler, the allusion to hot and cold water in verse 15, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, apparently is an allusion to the aqueducts that they had in Laodicea, while uh, verse 18 is an ISAB reference. So, uh, they were well known for their ISAB, apparently, that they sold in Laodicea. So, that was the reason why Jesus used those exact analogies. Um, and so, this... 
the verse that I think everybody probably recognizes is, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So uh, that's often used in like altar calls when people want to receive Jesus. And that's great. It's just out of context. So in this particular case, he's standing at the door. So in um, Revelation 1, he was walking among the golden lampstands, which were representative of the churches. In this case, he's on the outside and he's saying, let me in. So that's not good if, you know, he's supposed to be among them. Um, and that suggests possibly that they are, they, they need, they still need to repent potentially is what that means. So, um, Chuck Missler made the point in his series that from his perspective, because he believes in the pre-trib rapture, um, that the most important part of Revelation is chapters two and three, because these are the ones that actually apply to us today. And uh, that every single, all of these churches, he makes the point, they say, you know, the, the letter, all of the letters are to all of the churches. They're they're specifically addressed to one of them, but at the end of each one, it always says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So theoretically, we can all get some instruction out of each one of these. And the seven part, so I suspect it, it does make sense that if they're in this exact order, they do seem to follow potentially the uh, history of the church. Um, but also there's a, uh, a structure of sevens throughout Revelation. So of course it's going to be seven. There, that, that does appear to be a, a big theme here. So um, I certainly don't understand all of this, but I did think that at least because this one was um, historical and also current, that it was worth digging into a little bit more. Um, and so uh, thank you for joining me, and I hope that was helpful to you. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.